Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we've got Elton Murakami with PCL that's going to talk to us a little bit. Grateful for him. He stepped in to help us get a guest kind of at the last minute. We've had some scheduling snafus. But we're really looking forward to talk with him and see how he's done his career and, and any advice that he can offer to a lot of the students that are out there. So, Elton, who is it you're working for now? PCO Construction. And how long have you been with them? I've been with them for two and a half years. Two and a half years. So yeah. let's go back, you know, to where you started. Yep. Again, like I said, in the, as we were starting this, it's, think about it as the advice you'd give to yourself if you were a student nowadays. Okay. So where did you go to school? Uh, I went to Purdue. Purdue, and that's that's interesting because where did you grow up? I grew up in Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. So born and um, raised in Hawaii. And what's your take on being born and raised in Hawaii? Awesome. Hawaii is a great place, very family oriented, very diverse culture. The one thing about growing up in Hawaii, I think you take for granted, is that you don't realize you're in Hawaii. Yeah. You don't realize that people spend sometimes a lifetime to save to come to Hawaii, and how special of a place it is. I think that's something that being from Hawaii, I think sometimes you take it for granted. You forget about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just home. Yeah, it's just home. Yeah. It is. And it's an expensive place to live. <laughs> yeah. That's for dang sure. Yeah. And yeah. to travel. LA's catching up, so yeah. <laughs> so how, how, how did you end up at Purdue? So that's a story. In, in my high school at that time, Purdue had a free college application. Okay. And so we had a great college advisor that said, I expect the whole class to apply to Purdue. It's free. You have no excuse. It's a great school. And so then I did. I followed directions and got into Purdue. And Hawaii, yeah, it's interesting because Purdue almost has like a, it almost seems like it's an Ivy League school. It's renowned in yeah. Hawaii. You know, it's it? not a state school, so it doesn't have like, you know, California. And so then everybody thinks it's an Ivy League school. It's like Harvard right. or Stanford because it's a it's a name. And so when my mom, my, my, my parents found out I got in, it was kind of like, uh, you're going to Purdue. It was been decided for Yeah, you somewhat, yeah. <laughs> and at, at that point, yeah. And and, there, and I knew I wanted to get into engineering. And Purdue has a strong engineering program. And so then the reality is either UCLA or Purdue, and uh, you can see who made the decision. Just Purdue. Yeah. How was the uh, shift between the landscape? That was a culture shock. That was the first time <laughs> as far as uh, I remember my sophomore year, Martin Luther King Day. It was the coldest day that they had to cancel class like the first time in 20 years. Because it was so ne- was, negative or whatever. Yeah. Minus three, minus 30 without wind chill and minus 60 with wind chill. So that was sophomore year. But, you know, before then when you go there and it's flat, flat. Yeah. You know, no hills. No hills. You know, and, <laughs> no you know, palm trees. Yeah. No ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but, yeah, the people were really, really nice. You know, a lot of flannels and jeans. Not too much shorts. And it, we enjoyed it. And like, in hindsight, when you're going through it, it's a challenge. But when in hindsight, I would never, I wouldn't exchange it for anything else. What do you feel about the education? Did you get a good education? Oh, yeah. You? Yeah. Great education. And it's a good opportunity to, to be somewhere different and experience the seasons. 
and and decide not to want to experience it for the rest <laughs> of the <laughs> You don't need to live in snow <laughs> right, if right. you can possibly avoid That's it. right, yeah. So, but yeah, great education and great great following and could use some help with the actually football programs coming up now, but yeah. the basketball program was fun. Big Dog was there at the time. Oh boy, yeah. 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 Um so when did you graduate? I graduated in 1996. Okay. Yeah. And after you graduated, yeah, where did you go? So I went to grad school. I took a year at grad school. I went to Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. Spent a year studying structural engineering and at that point decided that I'd been interning every summer since freshman summer with construction companies back in Hawaii. So then I decided that that was what I enjoyed doing. You know, go, having that ability to to do your paperwork and then walk out in the field and you know talk with the guys, kind of learn what what they're doing. That was fun and then seeing the progress. You can see where it went from the piece of paper to Oh yeah. to now how it's going up and how it's going to get built. Yeah. Internships, I mean, this is one of the big things we talk about mm-hmm. with the kids, you know. Do you have any advice for kids that are looking for an internship? You know, did you apply to a lot of them and not get in, or did you just kind of get lucky and have a bunch that you were available to you? And I, what would your advice be to kids? Yeah, so I was lucky in the sense that my first internship was actually through my dad's my dad's a dentist, uh, his patient, and okay. he, uh, he said, hey, if your son needs a job, and I was able to get an internship with them. And We should so, make note of that, that... Your network is important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And your family's network. Yeah. Right. And so then from then I went to referrals and then I stuck with one firm for three summers. Okay. I still keep in touch with a lot of those. Like those are like family friends now. So as far as internships, really important. That gives you the first exposure of is this something that you're going to do and want to do for the rest of your life. And for me, it was. Helped you, yeah. Give you that exposure. Yeah. And then if you get to meet some people that you know, Mm -hmm. you know, that's always the first step in getting a job and oh, yeah. getting in the door. Yep. So from there, after your internships, yep. you graduated. Yep. And what did you study? So civil engineering. Civil engineering. And yep. you're not, you didn't get your stamp. No. You see a lot of people. You know, it's interesting. When they get into construction, they decide that's what they want to do. Or, right. You know, they, they don't have a desire to be an engineer. Or, yeah. Know. Coming out of school, typically you'll have an EIT. Like the yep. school will want you to take their EIT so that you're... You, you pass that step. If it was my mom's decision, I'd have my stamp, right? Because <laughs> you realize if you're going to stick with the construction industry, it maybe isn't as valued. It's not like you're going to get a bump in a salary, typically not, if you're for most general contractors. You get a lot more responsibility. Yeah, possibly, but sometimes that's not the case. Yeah. It, it does nothing to your career or your job If sometimes, and I think most of the cases. So it wasn't something that I was willing to spend the time and, <laughs> and brain brain cells to do is there any any education that you look at now and go well maybe that would help my career you know it's funny because what i found out because i love to read i love to learn like i think that's for me the big thing and it shifts right it changes in the sense like so now i I, i'm always listening or reading so it's either audible podcasts or books and you know the content's always changed like now it's changed to more people relationships how to build teams and so then like at one point it was probably more technical how to build buildings you know yep. learning more about design build that kind of aspect as you go through your career and wanted to learn how to be a better contractor and so then now it's transitioned you know with the role i'm in now to be more how do we build great teams and how, do, how do you get people to get along and yeah to not offend them and do the things that you want them to do yeah. right exactly and that's that's people are a huge part of the construction industry oh yeah, yeah. That's, you know, we talked to dinner. That's the most complex thing is it's all about people. Right. Whether it's the owner or people on your team or 
or any of the subs. Your yeah. labor, yeah, yeah, everybody. It's you're dealing with people. So right out of school, where did you land? So I was up in Northern Cal. Came to a point I said, time to find a job. Kind of desperate point, like, okay, I, I, you know, it's time for me to start paying rent and surviving on my own. And so then I remember I look at the book of lists in San Francisco of the top 25 contractors. And I just sent my resume to the top 25. Morse Diesel was the first to respond. And so the first I interviewed, and at that time I was desperate to get a job, and that's how I landed there. So, so Cliff yeah. and I were both a little, you know, we weren't, I guess our construction knowledge wasn't quite as good as it could have been. But talk a little bit about Morse Diesel, like this company and how big they were and what they've done. Yeah, so Morse Diesel is a huge, was a huge company. They're owned by Amec, English company. And when I first hired on, I was very impressed in the sense that they had built the Sears Tower and they had some pretty big landmarks. They were across the country. I want to say their headquarters were in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in San Fran in the financial district, so we were pretty decent presence in, and doing big work, big general contractor. Okay. Yeah, so that was my first experience with a very big nationwide contractor. What was the position that you started at? So I started as an estimator, so doing a lot of takeoffs, and at that time was a lot of with the tape, hand tape, yep. right? Was it you got the drawing scale. Yeah, the hand scale, yeah. Just kind of like with the hand tape, I remember doing that and quantifying and meeting and calling subs, getting getting bids and reviewing bids. And that was, that was for a year, that was my role. I want to explore the first job a little bit. You've decided it's like, I need a job. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And you know it's going to be in construction, so you sent your resume to 25 companies. Yeah. But you were going to take any job. Pretty much, weren't you? The first job. The first job. <laughs> that's yeah. what I g- and and that's important for people to know. You need to go get a job. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in hindsight, right? It, uh, of course, everybody has different situations. Like for me, I felt that that's why I, I needed to get a job ASAP, and that's what I did. Probably could have been a little more diligent and selective if going through the interview process and learning. And it's funny because actually the second company that I ended up with, I actually had a letter to go to interview with them. But then I had already hired on with more C-Systems because they're the quickest one to respond. But Charles Panko actually sent me a letter trying to schedule an interview. And at that time I said, no, I... It was too late. Too you late. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and so... It, I've committed. Yeah, you, know, you need a job. You got to start somewhere. Right. So I guess my question, the last one that came to me was... Are drawings any better now than they were in the early 2000s? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> you don't do much estimating anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I guess with the, with the modeling, it helps, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just it's interesting. You know, we've got this estimator that we're training over here in the office, and, and she's just floored by the fact that there's all of these inconsistencies in a lot of these drawings. Oh, that hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'm saying, that, is it any better? Or is it any worse? Yeah. Well, I find some of them are not as easy to read. They have all these tools for line weight and so forth, and it's just like, come on, get with the program. Use some line weight, will you? Yeah. <laughs> now, you started as an estimator. What, were you just in one scope, or did they have you doing everything? I mean, how does that work? It was everything. We used to, like, as far as the job comes in, we say we're going to chase this job, and doing, there may be two or three estimators assigned to a job, and each each of us would have a trade, and we do takeoffs, whether it's doors or drywall, and then meeting with subs and getting the interest in a job to make sure we were going to have the bid coverage. And then it came to a point where I was trying to actually manage the estimate. Of course, at bid day, so these are all hard bids, so on bid day, the chief estimator would close it and manage the, the computer at the 
on, on the bid day. But up to then, as far as populating the budgets and getting a budget together, it started getting more and more of that responsibility as, as it did more. And how long were you with Morse Diesel? So I was with Morse Diesel for two years. Okay. So, yeah, one year up in San Fran, and then we won a job as a Cal State Northridge Oviet Library addition or renovation, building back after the earthquake, the two wings. And so then when I won that, the mentor at my time at that time said, okay, it's time to go on the field and learn how to build. Yeah. You looked at these drawings, you know, you yeah. know the drawings now, come learn how to build. Yeah, and he said, you know, that even if you want to come back to estimating, the best thing you can do is spend time in the field. So I guess if anything to people coming interested in the industry, I think that's important in the sense that it's so broad, right, between estimating, managing manpower, managing project management, that try and keep an open mind. And sometimes you get project managers that never had a stint of estimating, and you can tell. Yeah. And, you know, they may not, there's a dimension that they could work on that would make them a more powerful project manager. And so be a little bit open-minded that this, this industry is so broad that it helps to be open-minded and try different scopes and estimating always gets the bad rap oh shoot i have to go into the office and estimate and be part of estimating and it gets a really bad rap when you're in the field and it shouldn't because that's a big component and part of the full circle of general contracting well and it's always interesting to me how different companies start people mm-hmm. you know estimating is a, an entry-level position but a lot of times you know talk to people from Hensel phelps they start them off in the field and then they move them into the office and eventually you might work your way up to actually doing estimating mm-hmm. And so it's just interesting to see the different mindset of each company. And, yep. You know, when you're applying for these positions and applying for stuff, it really doesn't matter where you land. Right. Because if you start in estimating or if you start in the field or if you start in the office or however it is that you're going to get there, there's going to be that opportunity likely right, to, to move around all the different positions. That's really sort of pinpointing on my point about you needed to get a job, right? And you took a job, but... If they you started off as an estimator, but if they'd asked you to do something else, you probably would have done that. Oh yeah. So the important thing is to get started. Yeah. And then keep your horizon as wide as possible. Exactly. And you'll see, I believe, that a good company will want to try to get you as well rounded as possible to give you the opportunity to even as you may be the best project engineer, but a good company will want to get that experience for your own good of, okay, okay, time to get some estimating in, whether it's three months or just a little bit. Just or try and go out and manage s- some people in the field. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, give you that kind of that broad foundation. I think the good companies will do that. So for Morse Diesel, mm-hmm. where did you go? So I was at the job site down at uh, Northridge and yeah, I decided it was time to move on. And was fortunate enough that I, through a referral, landed with Pankel, Charles Pankel. And you know, the funny thing with that was that was going back to Purdue. Charles Panko at that time, I, I don't know what the exact stat was. Maybe I want to say between 60 and 70 percent of Panko's people at that time were from Purdue because Charlie Panko was from Purdue. He graduated from Purdue. Yeah, yeah. so it was a really strong alignment and recruiting coming out of Pank, uh, Purdue. And so then that's how I ended up getting interviewed or, or set up with an interview and going back to Hawaii. So the first stint with Panko was actually going, returning back to Hawaii. And which I wanted to do and spend time with the family again, my parents and, and family, and, and start my career there. Now, Panko, for those, you know, maybe uninitiated, they're a big regional player in the western United States, at least California and Hawaii, right? Yep. No longer in Hawaii right now, but okay. definitely California, northern and southern California. And 
very impressive company. Yeah, they're a huge company. They, you know, Charlie Panko is actually one of the founders of DBIA. And okay. so, they, you know, they have a really strong design build, pre-construction background of, you know, I was telling you guys, you know, one of the, the projects, one of the last projects I did in Hawaii started with hand sketches, five 11 by 17 hand sketches of a you know, later to be $100 million job. That was the fun part for me, is learning how to transition something at that really conceptual level and that's where the estimating came in, where estimating allows you to break things and dissect things down to what the components are. And so that's a big part that maybe sometimes if you're only in operations and managing projects, you don't realize on the estimate. You're just dealing with trades and operation how to build it, but necessarily putting it together All from the concept. Yeah. yeah, that was the fun part that I enjoyed at Pinnacle. That background. You were with Panko. Where did you start at Panko? What was the position? So that time was food engineer. As a field engineer? Yeah, food engineer. And what did that entail? So a lot of, you were required to do a lot of layout, concrete quantities. Panko self-performs concrete quantities, detailing. So uh, some people call them lift drawings. Right. So basically, it was your job to give the field instructions to so that they could be the most efficient and make money for the company on the field for self-perform work. That whole productivity thing we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Yep. So you're you're drawing these details for the concrete, and then it goes into into place. What I mean, as a field engineer, did you spend all your time in the field? Were you pushing paper in the office? Like what? What's the? You spent the whole day during the field when the the guys are out there, and then before the start of the day, and and at the end of the day is when you got to catch up on your paperwork. So yeah. Well, walk us through your progression at Panko. Wait a minute. So what kind of an interface did you have with the craftspeople when you were the field engineer? Yeah. So a lot of it is. So you would work with the foreman, probably more of the general foreman or the foreman's assigned to whatever work you're managing, the concrete, so like a foundations. You'd work with your general foreman, and you know, a lot of it is, okay, we're going to build this footing. You detail it out and typically review it with the foreman before before he has to build it, so you make sure he has the information. And a lot of it is extracting what's on the drawings so it's easy so that they can just see what's relative to them. So the dimensions of how big is this footing, how deep is the footing, you know, how much so for them it translates to how uh, the formwork they need to build. Yep. And so then. The so it's helping them understand that two-dimensional drawing, in in three dimensions, yes. on the ground. Right. Exactly. And then that's where you know now with technology with BIM and modeling, it's you know people taking an iPad and showing them a 3D model of what a footing, you know, the footing looks like is huge because at that time, you know, we were still doing plan section and <laughs> elevation and it was... And you had to put it all together. Right. In your head. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if it, you know, you get down there and the foreman says, well, that's not going to work. Now you got to try to sketch it out and, well, how am I going to show them this? And right. See. And there's some talented engineers that can do the isometrics. I was not one of them, but yeah. <laughs> I know one of our... Yeah, Stick people all the way. A lot of isometrics, yeah. Not me, though. So then let's talk a little bit about, you know, your career at Panko. Like, where you start off as a field engineer. Mm-hmm. What's kind of the natural progression? And what does each position entail? Like, what, do you, what did you do or what responsibilities did you gain as you moved up? Yep. So field engineers, a lot of coordination, not only is self-performed, but also of the subs. Right. So making sure, like, RFIs, you be out in the field and a sub has an RFI about this conflict or whatever decision is shown on the drawings. And it's your job to transition that to an RFI to get issued and submitted. So that's more the field engineer. And then the project engineer is the next step where you're dealing more with submittals. You're dealing with some RFIs, but submittals as far as coordination, making sure you're reviewing specs 
and that the, whatever is getting submitted is consistent and going to be approved. Like you don't want to waste the designer, the consultant's time of submitting something that's not relative to or per spec. As a project engineer, are you looking at compatibility between the different pieces? You are. So a lot of that is kind of looking at a little bit, taking a little bit bigger picture step than just the field engineer of just specific trades where you're looking at, okay, the coordination of, you know, of details of, okay, how do the different trades come together? Yeah, this guy's going to use this product here, and is that really going to fit with what's going on over here? Yep. So like exterior, exterior skin details, right, is a lot, a big part of project engineer. And then too, as a project engineer, you get tucked in under you of field engineers. Uh, so then it's your job to manage. That's your first management role where you're managing the field engineers and giving them assignments, making sure they are prepared for the field. As I'm sitting here and you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of whether we should talk about this, but I think it's a good idea for kids in the field to understand. Like one of the big issues as painters that you deal with, it might be something like the structural steel, right? We submit paint. This is what we're going to use. Here's the primer we want to use. It's all according to the specification. And then you show up on the job site and the structural steel's been primed with something that's not oh, yeah. compatible. Right. It just gets overlooked. Yeah. There's all of these different things about all these pieces that you have to keep together. The thing with at Panko is that project engineer position, you're expected to know everything. <laughs> okay. You are. As far as at that detail level. At the that buck stops at that, with you. At that technical level, you're expected to know everything. And so then, you know, and Panko has such a strong culture of that, that as you you know get elevated you feel the pressure to to perform at that level and so that's it's a very challenging role in the project engineer well let me ask you this then and i'm sure it's the same every way do they train you in that or is it something you kind of have to pick up as you go a little bit of both right i think the challenge with our industry is like how often do people have time to train right you know you're in the field all morning and then you're doing the rfis at night and when are you going to find that time to actually learn about painting or wood or steel or yeah. whatever the option is and that's where it's great when you have uh like a pancas a project superintendent i think it's changed since then but you know as far as at the time was project superintendent which was the ceo of the job site and that person has come up typically from this fepe roles where you can ask the questions and the real good ones will provide that mentorship of and guidance of of understanding it so then you know either what questions to ask or what what to look out for so the training is not the concept of oh i'm going to go to this session and be trained it's an everyday accumulation of things that happen where you become trained yep and and you you do things and you do them wrong and someone goes no no that's not right right yeah well And, and this is i think that's the difference right now as far as uh we didn't have Google at that time. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, right. And so then all you had were the people, the either the subs to ask or your mentors and your coworkers to ask. And I'm just now realizing people now, if they want to know how to do something, they go Google it. Right. And there's a video that goes, oh, if you want to change the oil in your, you know, whatever, yeah. this is how you do it, a step-by-step thing. Yeah. And that's training to them. Where in the construction industry, historically, it was like they told you to go do it. And it was just like, well, I see how it was done over there. I'm going to do it like that. Right. And then they come and go, no, 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 you messed this up. Okay, right. This has to be handled this way. And you build, you know, you build knowledge on that. Right. Yeah, and that's where, you know, we all right now have knowledge in our back pocket, right, with our phones. And it's just way more accessible than ever before. And that, I, that I think, is different from what we came from. Well, and whether it's good or for bad, I think it's both. You know, one of the things we talk about in Cliffstead a lot of times is 
you have that knowledge. And the problem is a lot of kids think that they don't have to learn it now because they can always just go back to it. Well, exactly. I think so. The humility shouldn't change. You should still have the humility of of knowing that just because you think you watched a video and that you think you know how to build it. I'm an expert that, now. Yeah. And there's still still some humility involved of making sure that, you, you know, there's more to the details than just uh, what you, you know, what you may be reading and thinking of video that you watch. So from there, that now you're talking about project engineer. Like that was your second step at Panko? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, was, and in between these, I was doing estimating. There were some slower times where I'd fill in as area estimator in Hawaii. We were pretty lean at one point um, during the early 2000s, I want to say. Just right before the boom. Yep. Everything yeah, right before the boom. Up, yeah, know? it was pretty lean. And so then I was playing estimators ch- chasing jobs. So from there, I mean, how... How big was the operation in Hawaii? I mean, did you ha- you had a corporate office? We had an office. It was a decent set office. Okay. Panko had a fairly large volume and presence in Hawaii and did a lot of landmarks in Hawaii. So from project engineer, where did you go next? After a job in Hawaii, uh, the last job I got asked to transition to back to the mainland in 2007. And that was a fun experience to be the project superintendent, or I guess in other companies, the project manager, uh, on an Oshpod job. Coming from a commercial, hospitality, you know, just get her done job. Mentality. Yeah, yeah. to a Oshpod renovation in a living, breathing health facility hospital. That was a rude awakening. For those that are still in school, maybe not familiar with Oshpod, you know, those are the regulations for a working hospital, right? Exactly. I believe it's based upon any anywhere you'd have an overnight care, mm-hmm. then it transitions to an Oshpod requirements, Oshpod 1 requirements. a whole set of specifications and rules and regulations and everything involved with that. Well, not really. Okay. There is. There's there's All it is is Oshpod just makes you do what you're supposed to do. Right. They're to not, the letter. Yeah, exactly. They're not creating necessarily more rules. Like, there's rules of making sure, like, details, that all the details are shown on the drawings and approved. But the construction aspect is nothing new it's you, it's just it's doing exactly what the product data is saying exactly what the detail is showing and following to a t see now right. until we had this conversation earlier tonight you know oshpot means nothing to me because paint's not right. monitored that way right okay so but when you said that i have a friend who's a plumber and he's been doing hospitals and suddenly i was like oh yeah you know because he retired and they keep like We'd like you to come back. We'd like you to come back oh, yeah. because he was working in hospitals and he knows what it takes. Yeah. So it's a it's a very stringent level. If it says eight drywall screws at eight inches on center, it's eight inches on center. And they will measure. Yeah. yeah. And if it's wrong, then what do you have to do? You replace it. You find a way to replace it. Work with your arm, whether it's the whole sheet of drywall or cutting, you know, stud to stud. It's, you just gotta negotiate and work works. So what were some of the biggest headaches that you ran into with Oshpod? In a renovation, it's existing conditions. It's making sure you have the right details on your approved drawings to allow you proceed to proceed with construction. So it's primarily framing, metal framing, drywall framing, because in a you know, existing hospital where you already have your MEP infrastructure in place, that may not be coordinated and considered. It's considered maybe in the drawings, but it's just as good as the as built were. Yeah, it's considered, but it's not known. Yeah, right. And so that's where the technologies of today were laser scanning, 
and really defining those unforeseen conditions early in the process are huge. Well, because you were saying you can't proceed until your drawings are approved, right? Yeah, until you have a detail and that uh, the IOR is comfortable that there's something that they can fall back on and saying that that's an approved detail that or known detail that, that they can allow work to accept work, they're not going to do it. So, for example, it's like, let's go into this room. Here's our drawings of what we think we're going to encounter. Tear it apart. Oh, crap, that's not right. Going to have to start drawing how it is and get everything. You're stuck. I mean, you can't proceed until... Yeah, it, goes through and gets approved. it's challenging in the sense that it challenges your creativity to find number one. You got if you can find a detail that has been approved that may not be already on the drawings and you, you and get that accepted. So that's like the first avenue is right. How do you how do you massage or find a look in your library of details or work with the designer for, within their library of details of applying a certain situation to something that's approved? That's a challenge. And then after that. Worst comes to worst, you have to revert to getting a detail reviewed and approved. And on the marg- are the margins on Oshpod jobs significantly higher? Well, the cost is significantly <laughs> higher. <laughs> the margins are going to be dependent on you know, performance. What you can do, with, <laughs> right. what you can get, I guess. Yeah. So you dropped into that with, I'm guessing, no training. That was, yeah. You well, learned well, on the job. Yeah, and you know, I think that that's it's that one is like probably having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> not until you have the kid do you realize what it is to have a kid. Right? You're not never going to be ready. Yeah, not until you are on an Oshpod job do you really realize what it takes to build an Oshpod. Well, it's okay. I watched a video. I, I should know. <laughs> but that's the idea. Is, yeah, I mean, one of the points that I would make, and that Bruno had talked about this in his episode and a lot of these episodes, it's like you're not afraid to figure it out. You know, and I think that's important. A lot of kids understand, hey, you might get thrown in a situation where you don't know everything. Right. But you can try to figure it out. Right. And there's no one telling you not to. I mean, in fact, they're expecting you one way, by hook or by crook, to figure out what it's going to take to get it done and to build it. Right. And I have to say, that's probably one thing maybe, not to stereotype, but then sort of maybe the millennials, because of their resourcefulness, are inclined to do that a lot of times. Hey, it's a problem. I can try to fix it. Right. Try to figure out a way. But as within just the construction, that's what we're forced to do, right? We're only building one-offs. Every time, everything is different, and we barely build something twice. And so then you have different challenges and problems every time. Even the project we're, we're working together right now, it's almost, it's all the same stuff from one side to the other side, but it's going to be different. Right. So still with Panko, yeah. you, you went into doing this, you, know, you were the project superintendent, superintendent, yeah. right. which is like a project manager, maybe yep. in another company. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? I guess you could go to, like, there's a project executive, the project executive. For me, I transitioned back into estimating pre-construction. Yeah, I don't know, as far as the org chart, I don't know if it'd be project executive and, you know, area manager or... But there's positions to move. I mean, you could move up yeah. if you were happy. At Panko before, that project superintendent was a honored career position that was a high that was a highly tier position yeah that was a position that you could be very proud of retiring at because charlie panko valued his core of project superintendents so it, you know like i've heard on your other podcast that sometimes the challenges is when you have a position above people just by human nature feel that they're forced that they should be chasing that position right and okay well i'm not doing my job i'm, I'm selling myself short if I'm not chasing that quote-unquote higher organization org chart role. And like you guys also said in that podcast, it's okay. You should be 
you should have the permission to stay wherever you're at if you're excelling and and becoming an expert as a project engineer well you know sometimes you're so busy climbing the ladder that it's not taken to the top you realize it's against the wrong wall yeah and yeah like there's no nothing wrong with being in a position that you're good at right. because there's always going to be a need for a good engineer or a good project manager right? well in construction if you're good at, at one type of thing the projects are always new mm-hmm. oh yeah we have a former employee and now he's working for a county agency and he says he just it's terrible because he goes well they let me go from one place to another place but it's not like being on a construction site and going from one construction site to another site where it's different all the time because basically i'm just painting doors and walls <laughs> and it's it's really a drag mm. but if you are good if you're a good estimator or you're a good field engineer or project engineer and you're really good at that and you find it rewarding then you're going to experience all these different projects and each one of those projects is going to have different challenges oh yeah well there's different skill sets and mindsets for each role as well right so then it's up to you if you want to adapt that if you want to get to the next position you have to adapt and grow into that skill set and mindset. And you have to consciously do that, I think. Weigh the benefits and the cons. And, right. And whether that's something that you want to do. Oh, yeah. So from Panko, where did you go? So I was with them and then uh, transitioned to pre-con estimating and came to a point where I was overseeing the uh, pre-construction in Los Angeles. Then by chance got offered a role in Hawaii, back in Hawaii, with in Hawaii's Nordic PCL, which is PCL in Hawaii. What's entailed in pre-construction activities? Yeah, so pre-construction for me is actually what it takes to get the job from, say, early stage design. So it could be as soon as conceptual design all the way through CDs and hitting the field. So it would be, okay, so in a, we did a lot of design build, transitioning, and so some, maybe even during a pursuit where it's working with the team to coming up from the concept of, of the RFP requirements making sure all the RFP requirements are within the design and making sure your job is come with the cost of that at the same time. And then later on, once you win the job, transitioning as much as possible or transitioning it to its different stages of design as far as DDs, CDs, and you know, getting the right people involved, getting the right subs involved at the right time as well. The whole time really, if you in, in general terms, is increasing the certainty of the project so with cost and schedule with panko the pre-construction activities was everything before you broke ground pretty much yeah yeah and that's a lot yeah and, uh, and that transition right it depends on timing of when teams are available if, if your operations team is available sooner then you're going to have engaged engineers and a, a project manager sooner than you know, the pre-con team doesn't necessarily every time get involved all the way from, from CDs all the way to concept design all the way to construction documents. It, it depends. Timing is big. So you were knee-deep in the middle of all the pre-construction, and you went to, to PCL, and what did you do with PCL? Yeah, so I, when I was in Hawaii, I ran their special projects group. So special projects is, say, hundred grand to $10 million projects. And so that was fun. Isn't was, that special? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it was fun, and, 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 and that's the beauty of it. at PCO. It was, it was the autonomy. It felt like running your own company. Is uh, that special project manager role is you, know, you 
overseeing us sometimes doing the estimates and overseeing estimates and making sure operations overseeing operations still doing some business development trying to get work as well as managing all your people so it was really fun that was a fun job consuming that was fun. a very entrepreneurial position wasn't oh yeah it? no it is yes yeah for pcl i think they value like they, they see that as that role as a very entrepreneurial do they have those units in all their markets yep. oh yeah yeah and it's over the last i want to say three to five years you know that special projects group is a being considered as its own business unit now from 100 grand to 10 mil the last job that i was involved in that we were doing in hawaii was a 25 million dollar job well you see that a lot i mean a lot of the bigger companies i know i think turner has spd divisions you know they've got kind of these little spin-off almost it's like hey you're, you're gonna go manage these projects because we've got these giant ones that we have well, you know drivers seems to be all the non-union work well there you go okay a non-prevailing wage work right okay and i don't know the sizes are really kind of all over the place yeah but there's 10 their special projects tend to be bigger but i can see now how some of the things that we've done for pcl because we were doing ti work mm-hmm. And it's just like these little projects. And I'm like, why is PCL doing a TI? It wasn't a Starbucks, but it was something very similar, right. you know, that size. Yeah, you know, some of it is based upon, you know, these jobs are feeder jobs to big jobs, as well as, you know, these jobs, you know, should carry a little higher margin. And then the other thing is that the recognition that it takes a different mindset and skill set to manage these jobs, right? In the sense that your PMs, you don't have the luxury of, getting out of the ground doing foundations and you know that that time to get prepared for the the next the big work the really intense work but it's actually a training environment too. it is right because then at that point you it's so quick that your people go through a, a life cycle of a job maybe they don't do the structural part but or growth work but they go through most of the facets of a job in a pretty quick time frame and so then with that also becomes the opportunity to get a establish a reputation pretty quickly with a client so special projects is important for me and well for pco it's an important part of our group i can see how it's almost vital mm-hmm. because you you have people that are running those special projects and they're getting this broad view of jobs that may not be available to them if they're one portion of a large project yeah. and they learn all kinds of things dealing with the subs dealing with the owners they just it's entrepreneurial and it's this big broad spectrum and it's a great place to learn a lot of different things yeah and it's like you said in a condensed time period yeah and that's a great point in the sense that some people once they hit go to special projects they really enjoy because yeah it has that entrepreneur where they're they're interacting with the client and a lot of times on a hundred million dollar job as a pe you know if you're pe you, you may not have that involvement and that interaction where you know you may be just taking care of exterior skin or mep right. and it's very specialized versus your work's all internalized with your organization yeah exactly and so again it's different skill sets different mindsets some people just want to do big jobs and that's fine yeah for sure people have a desire to build skyscrapers if that's what you want to do go right ahead right a couple of things i'd like to touch on and just because we had had a conversation before Mm -hmm. you know panco is it's a regional company but you've talked about it kind of like being a family Mm -hmm. you know like it's very close-knit community You still know people there that yeah. we've you know no we met with them, the yeah. other day. Yeah. Just like family, yeah. How hard is it when you decide that you're going to switch companies? And was that a tough decision? <laughs> that was the worst Christmas in my life. I remember, honestly, yeah, waking up at two in the morning, going on runs, going on like a 
you know three five mile run and just trying to get some kind of guidance of what to do you know as far as you know you're with the company for 17 years and like you said there's relationships there's comfort yeah there's security and then especially going after experiencing a big company like you know Morse Diesel at that time you know what is a big company like PCL gonna like where am I gonna fit in at a company like PCL and there was concerns thankfully my, my wife is the one that helped convince me that hey that it's time you know take a chance it's time to try something different but I would say the interesting thing about PCL is that I feel the same environment at PCL. Very similar, very detail-oriented, tight culture that values their people. And I think that's a big part of, you know, of any career, making sure that your people are valued or feel valued. Well, and is that important to kids coming out of school? Is that they can look at the culture of a company and decide whether it's for them or not? That's hard, right? Because I didn't know. Do you really know what the definition of culture and what does that mean to you coming out of school? I don't I don't know if, unless you've done interns, you, it's probably harder to know what that definition is. Yeah. yeah, you need that job though to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Compare and contrast. You're in a like what would be more of a regional company, and the, the culture there was a little different than say like a PCL or the Morris Diesel, and everyone's going to have a difference. And right. you had said earlier um, when we were talking before the podcast, you pretty well find people that they realize quickly whether they're going to fit in there or whether they're not. Oh yeah, and that's okay. You can, you know, there's lots of other options out there, and if you don't fit in, don't be afraid to go looking for another job. Exactly, and I think that's the definition of a good company: is that the culture will be, it'll, be, it'll have a strong culture. Is PCL international? They are. Well, yes. Canada, uh, North America, America. <laughs> uh, primarily North America, but we've done work internationally as well. And, uh, well, I guess outside of the North America. So there are several regional offices or area offices within PCL. Oh yeah. Have you have you been with them or have you experienced enough to know that the offices that exist in Southern California are like the offices that may exist in Denver or Seattle or some other place? Yeah. So that's where I feel very fortunate in the uh, I've been here two and a half years and been able to interact with a lot of good managers and people from we're our he, we're headquartered our national our North American headquarters is in Edmonton so like CEO office of directors is in Edmonton and I've you know been fortunate through training programs to meet a lot of our higher leadership and the awesome thing is that everybody is the when I say the culture that culture and the type of people are all aligned and so then across from you know we're in Orlando we're in Denver we're in Seattle, we're in Hawaii, Minneapolis, and California, and in the U.S., it's very similar people, very similar leadership. And that's, again, that's what makes the company, is that's the culture, and that's where it starts from. And I, I think that's important, you know, that you find a company, and, and you feel like you're a fit, and that their values align with your values. Right. And sometimes you're just going to need a job. <laughs> you know, you, you get that job, you work through it, and you can try to find something that's going to benefit you better. Right. And sometimes that's hard. I mean, if you're in a comfortable position and you like where you are, maybe you've got another offer and, and you're debating like you'd said. You know, that was a difficult thing, decision to make. But oh, yeah. you've been happy with PCL. Yeah, extremely happy. And I think that, and like you said, that's the, there's differences, right, between a regional company versus a, or, you know, a North, multinational. Yeah, multinational company. And But if the company has enough, like we're talking, like people quit their manager not the job right and if you feel like you're valued is where you're going to stick with and i definitely feel valued and feel like you know hopefully people within pcl feel valued like i feel 
what uh, what is your position at PCL now? Area manager. So what does that entail? I mean, you yeah. just manage the area? For us in Orange County, it's actually really establishing an area office focused on Orange County work. Because you've had an L.A. office forever. Yep, we're in L.A. And now you're trying to branch out into just an Orange County solely that can maintain itself, right? Yes. So in L.A. and San Diego, and this is kind of connecting the dots in between. So twofold, it's making sure that we can service the Orange County clientele. Uh, we feel that there is a market that can service, a big enough market that we can service a, a, a dedicated office here in Orange County. And then the other thing that's important is our people and making sure you know, we allow Orange County residents of PCL to transition to this office so that you know, work-life balance, we can actually, you know, we have a superintendent that actually was doing living in uh, Newport Beach and doing work at UCLA for years with three young boys. And, you know, now he's working at in Orange, Orange County. County and small across That's the why he doesn't want to leave. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because he's been making that commute to UCLA. Yeah. Oh. Happy wife, happy life. I imagine that comes into play as well. That's right? a, with that's him a big at part. Home more, and so then, uh, I, that so that it's twofold. It's servicing the market as well as our people. So, which says something about the Southern California market. You guys have an office in L.A. and one in San Diego, right? And now Orange County, right? And you have an office in Denver and one in Seattle. Yeah, it's like that's the the level of activity in Southern California that right. it can sustain three offices and I'm sure they're not all the same size but it's a big it's kind of a big commitment for your company to sure. open another office oh yeah because they don't I have a feeling they're not thinking well this is going to be a minor office yeah you know they they have a projection of what it's going to do but they don't think oh well we, we just need a little office there no uh -uh. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I. <laughs> there's some high expectations of us you know establishing ourselves in Orange County you know, I'm sure there's a video on the internet you could watch. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, just as an idea, so you've gone from where you were knee-deep in the construction process, mm -hmm. you know, estimating, you were managing, you were doing the paperwork, and now you're kind of trying to build out right. the field, like the, all of the, to allow for the construction. Right. And well, yeah, yeah. So what's the transition there? It, it's a lot of everything, right, again. So that's where that special projects manager role at PCO is big in the sense that it, we've had a lot of executives go through that position because it's a, it's a great training opportunity of something like this where now you're responsible for kind of all facets of it. Now, there's a, the beauty now is that I know that there's a lot more support behind in, in getting this office started. But again, it's, it's, it's a broad range of responsibilities. Does PCL have, let's say, marketing or sales guys that are really not, you know, they they know construction, but really what they're doing is they're out, you know, working customers, potential clients. We have business development, yeah. And so we have business development, but they know construction. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's just marketing per se. It's actually people that know construction, know projects, and know uh, where we would fit in and what we can offer our clients. Did most of them come from internally? In other words, have, have they been field engineers or estimators? or Not necessarily. I think a lot of them have transi transitioned into the company. But I guess at the same time, big picture-wise, we all do business development, right? Yeah. Yeah. The reality is that we're all, we're all part of the business development of the company. Well, and yeah, if, you know, as an estimator, if you're not doing a good job, you're not helping the company grow. There may not be a job for you. Yeah. You know, if the company doesn't make any money, you're not going to have a position there. Yeah, we have a great 
estimator in, in, in Glendale that does a lot of business development, a lot of, you know, as far as entertaining of clients, and he's great at it. Yeah. And so then, you know, every one of us, to think that it should only be one person or a couple people chasing business development, I don't think that that's the successful model. I think it's a matter of all of us, you know, when you're together. working together and appreciating that we're all promoting the company in what we do every day, right? And, and, and then also taking that a step further of, of okay, building the network okay with your network now whether you you know it could be a church it could be at your personal activities that you know that hey maybe there's a chance that we can we can help someone else or help someone uh, a, a client or be, or be develop a, a relationship develop a, yeah exactly so that's yeah, I, yeah no one's going to sell you but you right right but as long as the company i mean that's one thing about the company is that everybody has this mentality of hey we're all in this together right and, and i th- that, okay, so I think that's a good, a big part of PCO being employee-owned. So I think that's an interesting part of that a nuance that was different for me is coming into an employee-owned company mm-hmm. where everybody has the ability to become an owner. And, you know, coming into it, I didn't realize or think how often that would come up in discussions and, and decision-making, but it does quite a bit and because we're all looking out for each other. Awesome. Looking back, you know, on your career... What would be some advice that you would offer to kids nowadays that are they're just in school getting ready to go out in the field? Try anything. Just get in there and get busy, right? And keep busy and always look to improve and to learn. And funny, funny, we hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and I think that's a big part, right? It's like, um, so for me, and, and one of the questions was books, right? Right. So author I'm like hooked on, right? Patrick Lencioni. Okay. Right? Yeah, he has great books. One of his the books I brought for you guys is uh, Ideal Team Player, right? And kind of the punchline of that, it comes to three things. Humble, humility, hungry, and smart. But smart is not technical smart, but people smart. And those three, you know, if you look at all the people in your lives that have been great team players, it's always been someone that's humble yet hungry and just great working with people. And for me, that's huge. Like that's in our in our industry, that's what it takes is a team player, no well, matter at what position. And it doesn't matter who we talk to in any, you know, in any position across the board if they're worth their salt. I mean, they talk about the fact that it's all about people. Mm-hmm. You know, those relationships that you've developed, you personally that have allowed you to move from company to company or wherever it is that you've ended up. And let alone, like you said, as a special projects division, you're, you're developing these relationships with right. these clients to where they could become a future client or a continued client. Right. And uh, it, that's what it comes down to. If you can't – Bruno put it one way. It was great. Like you could have the best message in the world, and if you deliver it wrong, yep. no one's going to hear it. Right. You right know, on. And you've got to learn how to work together on that team yep. to get everything there. And the other thing in our industry, it is such a demanding industry – Right, in the sense of you can make a decent living, but it there's a lot of work to get put into our industry as well, right? And so then, so then making sure that you have, you know, as cliche as it may sound, the passion, and you enjoy what you're doing. You know, I think that, and that for me, I felt that way in the sense that you know, you look back at all the positions you've done, but I was never chasing a promotion at any point per se. It was always about enjoying what you're doing. And sometimes you don't realize what you've done and what you've accomplished and what you have as you go along the way. You know, and, and, and you come to a point where it's like, I, I can actually do that. And, you know, I think I can actually do that, right? And 
and so then make sure you enjoy it and enjoy what you're doing because it's it can be a demanding industry i sort of touched on that earlier in the evening boom boom um makes makes an appearance yeah (laughs) (laughs) where at my age i'm amazed at the things i know now and you said well you know you need to constantly try to improve and i don't think i ever consciously tried to improve but i always made a point to do a good job yep you know and by doing a good job i was constantly improving because there'd be things that you didn't know and you had to learn something in order to accomplish in order to get the job done properly do a good job and do what you said you were going to do, right. you might have, you had to learn some things along the way. Oh, yeah. You had, and you had to incorporate those things all the time. And so I was never, you know, like, going, well, I'm trying to improve myself. No, I'm just trying to do a good job. Right. And that's just another way of improving yourself as you take on different kinds of jobs. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. A coworker at Pank was, he said that uh, the longer you go in our industry, the less and less you know about more and more. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just that's the the reality of what we do is, you know, it's so it's so vast, it's so broad, and we will touch something one one at one point, and you may not touch it again. Henry Ford said something along the lines of, you know, experts, they have no clue how much they don't know. <laughs> well, they're never they're never content, because they're always learning how much they don't know, right? It's like yeah. they have so much more to learn. They have so much more. Oh to yeah, learn. and uh, it was interesting. We were talking earlier, and you had said something as we walked in to get ready to start, and it was. In the industry, and you say it's a competitive industry, yep. and it's you know it's a hard industry. If you want to get ahead, it requires that time investment. You know, beyond the fact that have you ever had a position where you've only worked nine to five? Yeah, uh, no. You know, right. and that's that's kind of a reality. Right. Now that's changing to some extent with with some of the mentalities of people that are in there, and I think you could make that work. Mm-hmm. Joe had said from Mental Phelps, he's like, you know, people aren't managing you as long as you get your stuff done in time. Yep. You're set. But then if you have a desire to move up beyond that, it takes a time investment. Oh, yeah. And I'm always interested in this because I have a wife and three and a half kids now. Um, you know, how do you how do you make that work with a family? It's challenging. It is always a constant challenge of, bal- of balancing time at work and time away from work with the family, and as well as like personal time as well. Yeah. It's important to get some personal time, right? It's challenging. I, I, I think that, uh, like we talked about, it's making sure you have the right person. It is a partnership, and it's, yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? I, I talk about the fact that, and we were talking about this earlier, you know, with your kids, I want them to learn to work, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, they see their dad, and he works a lot of hours. Well, they should know that, hey, that sometimes that's what it's going to take if you want to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. But then where do you find that balance of where you're spending enough time at home? Right. And there's not a book on how to be the perfect person, and, you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. I think exactly. I think it, what that is the challenge of as you go through it, it there's no right answer. Right. It's what's right for you. And you just got to figure that out as it goes. Right. And that's with any aspect of the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, not just family, but where you are and what company and how it's working. You got to find what's right for you. Right. When I was a kid, we worked. I mean, literally, we worked all the time. And people used to say, well, where'd you, you know, where'd you learn about this or that? And I'd just say, at the dinner table, because my dad was a business owner. And and we were, I mean, as kids, my employment date was when I was 10 years old. And I was in the office doing this or doing that. And at home, we talked about business a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you just learn a lot. And 
I don't, I don't consciously think that we were hammering things out, but I'm sure we were, in fact, you know? Well, you learned skill. I mean, you learned stuff that you wouldn't have learned any yeah. other way. You know, and it's benefited you in your life. Is there any big difference working in Hawaii versus working in Southern California? Or, say, the rest of the United States, maybe? Yeah, I, I, well, Hawaii's a great place, right? And especially if you love nature, you love the ocean. Uh, when you're not working, there's great opportunity to, do, to enjoy that. Yeah, the hard part is to get anything done, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's an expensive place to live as well. Yeah. You know, it's a, that, I think, if anything, is the biggest challenge. Because we, we do have people that transfer to Hawaii and then... Kind of eye-opening the difference. It is, yeah. And that's the challenge. But every, every place has their, their offerings, right? You can't go to a Dodger game in Hawaii. Right. Or Angels game here in Hawaii, right? And so. Thinking about I spent some time in Hawaii and worked for their company. So I would be there for, like, I was there for almost a month straight, and then I would go a week every every month. And I just, just I was just thinking about it. I was like, yes, I worked, and I worked long hours when I was there. I can look back now and go, yeah, but when I got off work, man, was it great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the end of I the would day. go to the Hale Kalani right? and wow. have a drink yeah. and <laughs> listen, to, listen to the music and watch the Hulu Girls, and yep. it was just like, it was just a great place to be off work. Yeah. You know? The end of the day was the best part of the day. Yeah. Now, we did some work, what, two years ago. I was over there with a guy. We were on the Big Island for a little while, then we were on Oahu for a little while. And you couldn't have found two guys that were trying to get out of Hawaii any faster than us. You know, I've been gone for a few weeks, and I can't remember if my wife was pregnant with our other child at the time. But you know, we just thought that was funny. You never found two guys that were willing to get out of Hawaii any faster than yeah. we were. Yeah. But it's a wonderful place, yep. and if you don't get the opportunity, if you ever get the opportunity to go, yeah. But I've always wondered how the culture is over there, if it's any different than it is over there. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Work-wise, uh, work wise, no, you, you still have people that want to succeed and work hard in Hawaii. And yep. here, I think that, you know, things, I think in Hawaii, because it's a smaller community, it's really strong relationship-based, right? Yep. You can't, definitely in that market, you can't burn any bridges, right? There isn't, you know, it's... Yep. Enough it, other people waiting in the wings. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and then, it, you know, it's quick. You're, it, uh, our industry is as big, even in the mainland, as big as our industry seems, it's a small industry. I think that's one thing for kids to come out of school to know is that it seems big, but you realize it's actually a small industry. And so then, in, especially in Hawaii, that you know, your your reputation is, is, is worth gold. It, it's gold because, it, you know, it's a small community. You drop the ball once or twice. That follows you around. Oh, yeah. You know, so just do what you're supposed to do. And if you have any questions, you do your best. I don't think you'll ever have a problem. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's great people in Hawaii. I think that, you know, they, they say the law of spirit. I just think that's still still there. And people just, like, in, you know, enjoy life. You can understand the desire for people to go there and work and play. Oh, yeah. From here, PCL, any big plans? I mean, what are you what are you working towards? Or what are you looking to, to hopefully to achieve with PCL? For me, it's really getting this office set up as far as getting the office set up and establishing uh, ourselves in Orange County and that's that's what I feel I need to do to service our, our our people our team and our you know from from our staff up and down right as far as you know above as far as corporate wise there's expect expectations and and as far as our team in Orange County that you know we want to uh, succeed and have have a continuous like everybody wants to have that stability and comfort of of, of staying here. 
Is there a lot of movement at PCL between different regions? You know, I think mobility is a big thing at PCL because of that is one thing as a multinational, you know, North American company is that there's ebbs and flows of every district and there's needs. And so then there, the beauty of that is that we can transfer people back and forth across districts. And the company does a great job of making sure it's that people are okay doing that, but as well, that that is part of our strength is that we can you know, the culture stays strong because it's not like we're only limited to certain pools of people. We're allowed to transition people from California to Minnesota and and have that same. They know the systems, they know the process, they know the culture. Instead of having being forced to only getting a local pool of of people. So some major corporations it may be changing, but historically. It was just like if you wanted to advance in the overall corporate structure, you moved, mm-hmm. and they be, and they pretty much said, "Look, you move, or your history." Right. That doesn't exist, PCL. No, I don't think that your history. I don't. I, I think I don't know if it be. I wouldn't say it's career limiting, but I think that it could career advancement. Sure. If there's no mm-hmm. advancement, yeah, in your for local career market. advancement, definitely there's. If there's an opportunity where the company's offering you to move for advancement, then yeah, you can definitely transition to different roles and, and, and advance. And if you, more than maybe you, if you didn't, right? Because then you're limited to opportunities only within your market. And I think a lot of that is part of our industry is it's really timing, right? A lot of our industry is based upon timing. A lot of promotions are timing of when the next job comes out. And so same thing with being mobile, it just gives you more opportunity, more, you know, you're, you're giving that, you know, increasing opportunity. And so that's definitely something to think about as you're in school. Like, yeah, you know, as you're coming up, if you want to move quickly, if you can be agile and flexible, you're going to have a lot more opportunity. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I, like, I think that's an important thing is when we say work the hours or put in your time, like, yeah, you know, usually if you're coming out of school, you may be you know, not as, may, may not be responsible for a family or maybe even a wife. It, that's the time to put in the hours when you can, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, get in there and, and put in your work so that when you do have more responsibility and more things, you know, that will pull your time away from work that you're okay to do it because you've, you've, you've grown, you've learned a lot and that, you know, that we said you, you only can do it with time. If you have that working. flexibility too, you build that network. Right. On a much larger basis. Right, exactly. Like as far as like, you know, like I mentioned, the training programs I've been able to go to and experience across PCI is allowed me to meet a lot of great people. And that's the only way to travel to go, go to these training programs to, to meet the different people within PCL. And so same thing, you know, you hear stories because once you go to a job site is where you establish, you get your stories together and every job site, you know, it's just that becomes family. Right, we spend yep. more waking hours with our work people than than with our own families. Sadly enough, right, as, as far as our energies is probably our best energies are spent at work. Yeah, and so then a lot of your bonds, and then you know, with as big as the company is, a lot of people travel back and forth, and those are where you, you increase your network of just internal people. We've covered a lot of stuff. We've talked about PCL from Wilson and Hampton's perspective. We've always been big fans of PCL. Great. Um, we've got a f- you know you get those core contractors that you like to work for and PCL is one of our top. Um, Thank you, that's awesome. Yeah. And and that's true. I mean, in any instance we've had, you have your your pluses and your minuses. But I would say as a whole, you know, PCL is probably our top three. Great, easy. Yeah. So, 
and it's good company. We've never had any issues. Like Cliff had said earlier, you know, the thing about PCL is they're fair. Yeah. And we've always felt that we've been treated fairly, and and we could, you know, we treat them fairly. Let's talk just quickly, kind of as we're closing up, technology-wise. Mm-hmm. You see anything that's kind of blown your mind? That the, so the two things maybe that I see, so laser scanning. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily new, but I see a lot more utilization and quicker utilization of it where that i think was hindering before was a transition from the point cloud to right. like modeling data was the big thing but i see a lot more use of the the native data the the, the raw data it's being used more efficiently right and so then so laser scanning is a big and then the other is i see a lot of drones as far as we do a lot of work with drones as far as either site planning and or site um, project milestones pro- yeah, and progress progress photos yeah. and just analysis and and the, the like the metadata that the drones are able to it's not just flat pictures it's actually right. you know metadata that, that it's able to capture now is amazing what they're able to do are you using drones for interiors also no i haven't seen us use drones for interiors it's primarily been on, on sites like bigger round up project yep yep well yeah you guys built the the Bank Stadium, right? Yep. That's one of your big projects yep. that just that was, finished. Yep. So. Yeah, the LAFC. Yeah, the LAFC Stadium. Yep. Beyond that, kids, stuff that kids should be looking to learn. Typically, we get Excel, Bluebeam. You mm-hmm. know, is there anything they could be learning in school, whether it's technology or not, that's that's going to be beneficial for them? It's finding ways to use your te- the technology. What people coming out of school or kids now are good at is finding use different uses of te- technology like, and applying it to the construction industry, and whether it's your phones. Taking pictures. Right. Every time you walk into a job and this isn't ready, I can take a picture for an RFI. Or... Right. As well as the, the soft skills. I think the soft skills is the stuff that you just don't learn in school that have so much value. And like we just, you know, we talked about before, it's the people side. Well, to quote Elton specifically, I think that's something he said over dinner was, I find myself using more of my minor Psycho- you know, yeah my psychology class, class yeah. than, than my actual major yeah because you're dealing with people yeah you know and if you can't have that relationship or continue that relationship it ain't gonna work right and so yeah they've got to learn these soft skills of how to listen and how to talk and how to take charge and how to lead and how to follow right you know and negotiate yeah, yeah. yeah so i i would say that's that's definitely a big one cliff you had any thoughts those soft skills your th- three principles are the three strategic factors in the team player. Right. It's humility. Yeah, humble. Yeah. Hungry. Hungry. And, and, s- smart. and smart. Yeah, people smart. Yeah. Well, listening has got a lot to do with humility. Yeah. yeah. And I think I heard that on a previous podcast, right? Yeah, well, you have two ears and one mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the guys said that, right? Yep. Yeah. Because Bruno. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's because, yeah, everyone comes in and, and maybe you've got to play the role that you're given right mm-hmm. you come in as an intern or an engineer they're not expecting you to manage the project right let the manager do that right. and just play your role and if you have some ideas great go to them hey right. maybe we could do this better this is my thoughts but at the end of the day when they say this is how it's going to get done i mean that's like cliff i go to cliff all the time oh i think we should do it this way or i think we should do it that way especially when i first started in the office and he's like well no we're going to do it this other way and then two months in i see why we did it the other way right because <laughs> right. there's a reason for it. learning your place and to, to be in that place and do the best you can in that place right i guess is there anything else you would want to cover we had talked about and you felt pretty passionate about the fact that you know the statistic that while our 
the number of jobs and the market share is growing, our productivity is, yeah, is so lowering. That's actually one thing I, well, I think that for school and coming out of school, I think it would be great to appreciate the fact that I feel we are one of the most complex industries in the world, right? In the sense of we never build the same thing twice. Uh, we never know who we're going to be working with from your own individual project team to your subcontractors to your labor force to the architect and consultants. And so then there's just so many layers of variables in what we do. You know, coming out of school, I think if you can learn to really appreciate that and just that it is a complex, it's not a, you know, quote unquote bricks and mortar industry. That's all, it's not a commodity. And I think that's the challenge is that we've transitioned to a service based industry from a commodity you know i think that's the that is the challenge right and that's what we're talking about at dinner was that you know we're still seen as a commodity right we're still a lot of hard bid low price you know lowest cost and that's what's challenging our industry from advancements because it's all based upon bottom dollar and when it's on when it's because of that low barrier to entry it doesn't allow the advancements and 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 the and dedication of resources for advancements that we probably should be doing. What's the incentive to drive the advancements if the return's not there? Exactly. Right? And that's exactly if why would you spend money on infrastructure for technology or anything like that when you don't feel that the return is there? It's going right. to increase your cost, but it's not going to raise your right your sell price. Well, the the term that you just used that you said that construction is not a commodity. Right. That's changing a mindset that the market has because, in fact, most people in the world see buildings as commodities. Right. It's it's just sticks and stones right. and, you know, some concrete. It's just, you know, stuff. It's like a commodity. They don't pay attention to the value that's derived by buildings. The you know, they sound like an architect now. Okay, but buildings are really valuable. Right. They're really valuable things, and yet people think of them as mobile homes right <laughs> right and it so then it's transitioning the industry to a service industry right what we provide is the service of building the job building using using the 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 components the bricks and mortar of building the job but it, the industry itself is not a, it's not a commodity <laughs> yeah right and and it, again it's the low barrier to entry forces forces low cost because you know, you have everybody undercutting each other, and it, it challenges us. That idea of a commodity, in the meeting that we were in on Thursday morning, they were they were talking about details in this facility and how they wanted them to look because they want to project something to the customers that are in there. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't, you know, he, the guy's saying, I don't want the bricks, you know, I don't want a gap between the trim and the bricks. I don't want that to waver. I want that to be consistent. Consistent, which, which, it's like I want it to look like a machine did it. Yeah, exactly. Know? And which is sort of contrary to the idea of using bricks and mortar. But, <laughs> but that's. But he felt that the perception of the public was it needed to look machine-like in order to instill that trust that the, that everything in this place has that kind of value of high quality. High quality. Yep even though it may not be high-quality stuff they're selling. But the place looks like it's going to be selling high-quality stuff. It's all about the visual, right? Yeah. Well, Elton, we were very glad that you came on. You've done us a great favor because, like I said, we were in a little bit of hot water trying to figure out who we were going to get on. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm humbled and honored 
to be here. Well, Thanks. you know, we appreciate your story. The thing is, we learn stuff from this all the time. Like, oh yeah, I love the fact you know these kids, people who listen to the podcast, probably just think we're talking. But man, we'd like pick up all sorts of things, and uh, it's interesting to see everybody's you know take. And you offered a lot of good stuff. I mean, you know, just the the story of hey, this is how it worked for me, and this is what I did. People take value in that. I mean, yeah. there's a real value, and you've done well in your career, and we wish you the best. I mean, we hope that. You can see see some progress here in Orange County. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, you're you're on the right path. You're you're getting there. Yeah, I hope so. And, yeah, uh, thanks. So we the best day at work this month. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, it's because of subcontractors, right? I think that's the teamwork part, right? Is as a general contractor, it comes down to yourselves. You're only as good as your worst performing sub. Is that right, Steve? <laughs> or employee? Or your worst performing yeah. employee? You know. But so. well, this is a great service you guys are doing. I think this is good and. Um, like I said, I was listening to within the last two days and wanted to hear it and, and, and was fascinated by your guests. And um, if I would be interested if I were coming as you to listen to this podcast as well. Awesome. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, everyone always thinks that their story is not interesting. And I guarantee you, your story is pretty interesting. <laughs> I've been interested. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming sort of expected now, but I've really enjoyed these. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I have to do a podcast tonight. But it's like, oh, good. I'm glad I'm going to do a podcast tonight. <laughs> we tell you, and that's one thing we should say. We appreciate you coming in on a Friday night, yeah. leaving your wife and kids at home yeah, yeah. for a couple of hours so that we could knock this out. But uh, good luck in your future. Thank you. And uh, everybody, we're, thank you for listening. Yep. They can reach, I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn. Yep, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, look for you there. And, and just if you have any interest, you can always Google PCL Orange County. Yeah. See where you guys are at and what you've got going on. Yep. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we hope you have a good day.